Good evening. Way to be. All right. Wow, it is Thursday, isn't it? Tomorrow, our last day together. Oh, that's sad. But, well, before we get started tonight, I just want to thank you guys for being extremely good listeners. I've been encouraged by your listening, by your attention that you have given um, in the morning and in the evening. Uh, just, just grateful for that, and I just want to make that known. Grateful for the camp staff around here. Seth, you do a great job back there. Uh, thank you for all your work. I know it's Thursday. Give it up for Seth. So, LCA is not always a, uh, it's not always a fun job to do, so uh, thank you. And uh, make sure tomorrow, as you're going around the campground, to be thinking people who are here, who have been serving, who have been providing just a great week of camp through the love of Christ that they have for you. Don't let that go unnoticed. So make sure you're thanking those around here at the camp for being able to even have this week of camp. In fact, some of the people that you need to be thinking the most are sitting in your row with you, and that would be your counselors. So without them, you wouldn't be able to come up to camp a lot of them have sacrificed their week to be here. So tomorrow, treat them, take them down, get them some drinks and stuff like that. Uh, just make sure, make sure you pamper them. All right, now. Most of you have probably spent all your money though, so. Just be nice to your counselors then. Tonight, if you have your Bibles, please open up to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Verses 26 through 30, We're going with the theme of no lone rangers, no lone rangers out of this text. So as we've been working through Romans chapter 8, I hope that it's been encouraging and challenging for you. It should be both encouraging and challenging when, when we study the Word of God. There, there should be times when we have to pause and we have to think about what we're listening to as we're, as we're starting to learn and to study and to squeeze the truth out of God's Word. It, it should make us pause every once in a while to truly understand. We should, we should take words from God's word and think about them, ponder about them, think about the implications that they have for our lives. We should also be encouraged by them. We should be so greatly encouraged by the word of God because they're promises that are written to us. God's word is this is this wonderful story of redemption from Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. You can't have the New Testament without the Old. And, and it is God sending us a Savior, sending us a way to know Him. It is, it is His revelation of Himself to us, and it is an encouragement that the God, the creator of this universe, would speak to us. hope that you notice that, young person. As you handle the Word of God, as you study it, as you look at it, it should be challenging, but it should also be encouraging for your life. I hope that you've been challenged. I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope even singing God's truth as, as God's children together has been encouraging for you as well. It has been for me. Man, that How Great Thou Art was a great song to start off with, and uh, 
just thankful for, for you, Matt. So, uh, going to get started here. So, if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this week of camp that we've been able to set aside time to study your word. God, as we've been able to have conversations with one another about your word, God, I pray that uh, we have been both encouraged and challenged by your word, by the faithful teaching and preaching of your word. God, I thank you for, for all of those who have invested time into these young people this week. God, I pray that, that your word would work in each one of us. God, I pray that you would allow us to focus our full attention on your word tonight. God, that you would give me clarity of mind to be able to speak clearly your truths from this text. In your blessed name, amen. When I entered high school, I had a big wake-up call when it came to school and grades. Some of you are about to enter into high school. High school is a whole new animal when it comes to grading, usually. Uh, Unless you're homeschooled, then it's probably going to be pretty much consistent. (laughs) Ha! Uh, Anyways. (laughs) We we homeschool, so I can can make that joke. Right, Paisley? Yeah. All right. Anyways, back on track here. When I entered high school, I had a big wake-up call when it came to grades. I, I kind of had this laissez-faire attitude of what will be, will be when it came to my grades. I just liked going there because there were people there that I could talk to. I was usually the distraction within class. In fact, the year before when I was in junior high at church, uh, I was removed out of junior high for a month because I couldn't, I couldn't stop talking during class, and I would challenge the teacher, everything like that. I was a bad student. Uh, I had a teacher take me off to the side my freshman year. He tried to encourage me to take school seriously, told me not to be like the friends that I was hanging around, and then I went back and I told all my friends what my teacher had told me. That didn't go well. (laughs) I didn't care about my grades. I didn't do my homework. I didn't study for tests. It did not go well for me. And then came the fateful day when I went to practice and my coach told me, hey, Cody, you can't suit up today because you are on the D and F list. I was like, oh, (laughs) what's what's that? (laughs) That's a thing? (laughs) 
so I couldn't suit up. And then that week we had a game. I didn't tell my parents that I was on the DNF list. Midterm grades had not gone home yet. Yes, that's how bad it was. (laughs) So I was in street clothes on the sideline when my parents came to the game. And I wasn't going to tell them. I didn't want to tell them. I knew that it was going to be trouble at home if I told them. So my brother lovingly walked over to my parents and told them what had happened. (laughs) Hey, Cody's not playing tonight because he's on the DNF list. Oh. So then I got a talking to at home. And for the next two years, I didn't care. I didn't do anything that my parents tried to encourage me to do in that regards. I didn't study. I didn't do my homework. I was obstinate. I was a fool. I was not listening to the instruction that was within my life. Could have cared less. I was apathetic to it all. And then my junior year came. And I got something called a car. 1998 Nissan Maxima the five-speed. It was awesome. And with that car, I had something new called freedom. I could go wherever I wanted to go, and it was great. I could go be with my friends. I could go drive over, and then came the talk from my dad. Hey, Cody, if you don't keep your grades up this year, the car is mine. You can't drive it. Guess what happened for the next two years, the next four semesters? I made the honor roll. No, no, don't cheer for that. No, no. The reason why for the next four semesters that I did that was because I started to care about my grades. Why? Because I loved having my car and I loved having my freedom. It's not that I love school. I still hated school. But I started to listen and to pay attention because something was going to get in the middle of my affection. It was going to get in the middle of me and my freedom, me and my car. See what I'm saying here? My parents knew they finally had a pressure point that they could apply. <laughs> Luckily, never had to go down that path. <laughs> I loved my car. At least I thought I loved my car. I just loved what it could give to me. And that was going to my friend's house, being able to do what I wanted to do. For the most part, my parents still had rules. It sounds like my parents weren't very strict. They were, they were strict. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was a rebellious young man. See, our affections produce these things that I call byproducts. A byproduct is something that comes from a main product that usually a company, like an ethanol plant, would throw away. Ethanol plant, what's ethanol used for? Gas. Gas. We're in Iowa, we should know that. They take the corn, they let it ferment, then they put it into our gasoline. It's a great thing. One of the main byproducts of ethanol is CO2. How many of you guys knew that? Okay. One of the main byproducts of ethanol is CO2, and we, 
We actually package that. We use that in welding. We use that in, in our food and in our drinks and different things like that. In fact, if you have fountain pop, when you push that up, guess what's making that pop all bubbly? CO2. It's a byproduct of the main product, ethanol. Well, a byproduct of my affection for my car was finally obedience. See, when we have a love for God, we're going to have a byproduct come into our life called obedience. If we truly love God and we love his ways and, and, and we cherish him, we treasure him more than anything else in our world, we will obey him. Why? Because we love him. Big idea tonight is this. A love for God will change how you view life. A love for God will change how you view life. You will no longer want to live life your way. You will no longer want to live your life isolated with your own thoughts and your own desires and your own intentions. No, instead, you're going to want to live your life pleasing to God. Why? Because you love him. You have a deep affection for him. And, and, and we throw the word around love like it's something cheap. Like it's, like it's something that, that just becomes into our everyday vernacular or speech. So quickly we'll say something like, I love these potato chips, right? No, I just like the way that they taste. Or I love this pop. This is very good. Mountain Dew's my favorite, right? It's not actually my favorite pop. <laughs> Probably actually be like a, a butterscotch root beer. Have you guys ever had that? That's really good. Okay. We say that we love these different things, but really it's a lower desire. It's, it's something that pleases us. If someone were to come up and say, hey, are you willing to die to eat another potato chip? I would probably, eh, no, I, I'm not willing to die. If you were to take potato chips out of my life, because if I were to eat them and I were to die because of it, I, I think I could live without potato chips, right? Or, or if you were to come up and say, hey, you can't have another drink of butterscotch root beer, I'd be like, yeah, okay, you know what? I can, I can go on living my life. See, it's just something that brings me pleasure. It's something that I like. There's huge difference between those two words, liking something and loving something. In fact, a girl that I was pursuing one time asked me, why is it that you love me? And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> love? <laughs> Who said anything about love? <laughs> so I said this. That's what I was thinking in my mind. I was like, <laughs> it's not that I'm in love with you. It's that I'm in like with you. I wanted her to know that I wasn't that interested yet. <laughs> that relationship went no further, probably for a good reason. <laughs> Some of you think that you're in love with someone this week that you just met. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> you're not. Probably not. You're not. See, our affections will change, our love for God will change how we view life. Our love for God changes everything within our life. 
when it finally clicks for you of what God has done for you, of the love that he has shown you, and you return that love to him in seeing what he's done for you, because we can't love God, we love God because he first loved us. In fact, if we're outside of God, last night we learned that we can't even what? Submit to him. We can't even please him. There's nothing that we can do of our own accord to make God love us or for us to love God. God first had to love you in order for you to have affections in return toward him. So first off, you need to understand God. It's easy to say, yes, I love God, I love Jesus because of the things that he's supposed to give to me. It's easy to do that. Because we can, we can put this God in the sky that's going to give us all of the desires of my heart if I just obey him. He's, he's gonna give me everything that I need. I'm telling you here tonight, young person, that is not a proper love of God. In fact, our love for God grows the more that we learn about him, the more that we know about him, the more that we grow in our knowledge of him, the more we will grow in our affections for him. Think about that. How do we grow in our knowledge of God? By studying him. You think about that in a relationship. When you think that you like someone and you start to pursue them, what are you going to do? you're going to start learning about them. When your mind becomes to understand or comes to the point of understanding God and who he is and what he has done for you and provided for you in his son, Jesus Christ, which is eternal life and a freedom from the power and penalty of sin, you're going to love him because he loves you. You're going to be willing to die for him. You're going to be able to walk away from everything to follow him. Everything. Willing to walk away from it. You will treasure him above all. You will love him above all. And that's the center of this verse that we're looking at tonight. One of, one of the most recognized verses within the Bible, probably outside of John 3.16, is Romans 8.28. It's one of those verses in, in which when someone's going through suffering, we so quickly offer it up as an encouragement. Hey, I know you're suffering right now, but for those who love God and are called according to his purpose... Everything's going to work out. <laughs> and it should be encouraging. It should be this promise that we're able to look at. But it's not our plan that it works out for. It's God's plan. And this love that we have for God is going to change how we view life. How we see life. How we see the plans unfolding within our own lives. So that way when suffering does come, like what we talked about last night, when, when we're groaning, waiting to be redeemed, waiting for the transformation of our bodies, we're able to trust him. So tonight, some different truths, some different attitudes that, that we're going to be looking at some aspects of how this works out, three aspects that you will know if you love God. And the first one is this, you will turn to God when suffering comes. Your love for God will cause you to turn to God when you come into the hard times of life. 
Verse 17 and 18 says this, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What's that saying here? We're God's children. We're God's children. He loves us. He's going to provide for us as his heirs. Think about that. That's a promise to us. We're going to receive from God what is promised to Christ and to us through Christ. He has the ability to give us promises because he's the one who has, who has severed us, cut us off from sin. He did that through suffering. We're able to share with him in sufferings and we understood suffering to be pain over time. Okay, so we get to we get to verses 26 and 27. Likewise, just talked about all that groaning before that, remember? <laughs> how we still groan, how the world groans, how we as believers, children of God, we still groan. What's that mean? There's still hard things that are going to come within our lives. Life is hard, trust God. That's what we learned last night. And tonight, our love for God will help us to be able to do that. And when we love God, there's, there's going to be some key things. You will turn to God, and out of verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We're weak. Brothers and sisters, we're weak. We have a hard time when it comes through suffering. We can't do it on our own. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see that? You understand what that's saying there? The Holy Spirit, who we've talked about throughout Romans chapter 8, he is mentioned so much, the third member of the Trinity. He's God indwelling us, right? Allowing us to be able to understand and to perceive God's word and to apply it, to live and walk and, and how God has called us to. We're able to live within the spirit of Christ, And now, now we see this, and when we are in our weakness and we turn to him and we don't know what to pray, there are times when, when you will not know what to pray. There are times when you'll say, God, this is very hard. I don't know how to do this next. I know that you love me. I love you. I'm trusting you. I don't know what to pray. It's not talking about speaking in tongues or anything like that. That's not, that's not the full context here. But the Spirit goes on our behalf and is an advocate for us as well. Just as what Taylor talked about the other night, uh, not the other night, the other morning, uh, of how we also have Jesus Christ as an advocate who's, who's there with the Father. The, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf when, when we don't know what to say. And he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of who? Not me, not what I desire, not what I want, but what God wants, what he desires, what he deems is right. That's a big truth to understand. That's a hard truth to grip onto at times. We need to understand that it is God's will, and if we love God, we're going to love his will even when it's hard. Last night doesn't mean that we go with the superficial, like, ha, 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 everything's great in my life. No. 
because they're still groaning here. We're still going to God and we're saying, this is hard for me to walk through, but I am turning to you for help. Young person, you need to turn to God for help. You need God's help. I need God's help. I need God's help when I'm struggling. I I turn to him. I ask him. uh, And and there's times when it's hard. It is very hard. Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for you as well. Here's the rub, though. God's help does not always come packaged in the way that you want it to. Oh. (laughs) Right? We want to give out this audible, ah, right? No, uh, doesn't always come the way that, thank you, okay, all right. All right, thank you. God's help does not always come packaged in the way that you want. It's not always there in the way that you think that it would be best. But he does want to guide us. He does want to help us. He does want us to trust him all the more. Douglas Moo says this. It's just, he writes this really nice commentary on Romans. It's kind of the gold standard. But his last name is awesome, Moo, right? You, you would think like a deep commentary on stuff wouldn't be written by the guy with the last name. There's no one here with the last name Moo, is there? Because that would be, <laughs> Anyways, he says this. There is one in heaven, the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against us, guaranteeing our salvation in the day of judgment. But there is also an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God who effectively prays to the Father on our behalf through the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. See, not only do we have an advocate clearing us of all charges before the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, We also have an advocate that indwells us, being the Holy Spirit, that is helping us to to effectively pray to the Father. We need to turn to God and ask for help because we can't, we can't live for God on our own. We need his help. We need it. Now, when Taylor and I were dating, it set up this great date for us. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. I think some of you junior boys from two years ago will know this story. I set up this wonderful date. We were going to go out to Big Creek. I'd rented a pontoon boat, or not a pontoon boat, a little John boat, sorry. A little John boat with a little, the motor in the back with the throttle right here. It was great. We were going to go fishing for the day out on the lake. And, uh, and we got into the boat, and this little 12-year-old kid, I don't know how old he was, was trying to instruct me in how to use the boat. Now, I had driven boats before. I had driven boats all the time, pulling tubes, everything like that around the lake. And, uh, and he was going to try to instruct me how to use this boat properly. And I said, hey, kid, I know how to drive this thing. And he said, okay. The motor starts, right? Taylor's looking at me. She's all happy. I'm happy because we're going to go out and it's going to be a great day. And I go and I take that throttle like a cool kid. And I, uh, 
went all the way up with it. And it's a little John boat, so it's barely, it's not really going all that fast. And Taylor's looking at me, she's smiling, and I needed to turn right, so I went and I pushed, I pushed the tiller to the right. Guess which way I went? I went to the left. So you know what I did as a dum-dum? <laughs> I wish. Instead, I pushed it further to the right. Now we're all the way to the right because I'm like, what's going on? Now we're going left, all the way left. So then I didn't know what to do. So I threw up my hands and all I did was say, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. That's all I knew what to do. I didn't know what else to do. And we slammed into the side of a pontoon boat. And the panel went flying off. Still stayed attached, but you know, it went And we weren't even 20 feet from the dock. And that kid is standing on the dock, just looking at what has just unfolded. And I thought for sure, he was going to be like, just get off. Get off the boat. Right? Isn't that what you would have done? No, instead he's like, okay, so like I was trying to tell you before, <laughs> should have listened to me. When you want to go right, you need to pull the tiller to the left. Tiller prop, I think is what it's called. And, and, and to the, when you want to go left, you need to push it to the right. Oh, I understand that. He's like, just push out. It'll be fine. And, and start going again. So I said, okay. So he pushed out. I turned around. Guess what Taylor's doing? Life jacket is now going on. Because <laughs> now the smiles are gone. It's fear. Are we going to make it through this date? Is this like, <laughs> is this what life with Cody is going to be like? <laughs> yes. Had I accepted that young man's help, guess what? I wouldn't have been in that predicament. A lot of times we try to still handle things on our own even though we are God's children, even though we can turn to him, even though within our groanings we can groan to him and we have a helper within us that wants to intercede on our behalf and he is and he's searching our heart and he wants to help us to understand the will of God. And there's times when it will just be too hard to understand the will of God. But because of our love for him, we're going to trust him. We're still going to obey him even when things get hard. It's the second part. You will turn to God and then you will trust God's plan. You will turn to God and then you will trust God's plan. When you love God, you are going to trust how he works you are going to trust his promises. Even when you don't know what is going to happen next, you're not going to fall back into that, into that spirit of fear, into that spirit of defeat that we had talked about last night, but instead, you're going to evaluate your God and what he has provided for you already through his son. How can a God that loves me so much have my worst in mind that he has sent his own son to die for me, to suffer for me. 
You're going to trust God's plan because you evaluate God, you look at him, and you understand he is good, and the things that happen within this world are not always good. In fact, sometimes they're very bad. You might be thinking that this message isn't for me. Or maybe that this is a message for me when I'm older, when I have things more figured out, when I'm going to go through more struggles. And I would say, young person, you'd be wrong. Going up to the springboard, hearing Pastor Dave preach uh, this morning and teach, uh, he challenged the freshmen, going to soon be freshmen, uh, that they can be the change within their church. And he used three examples, Joseph, Daniel, and David all young men, all young people who trusted God even when life was hard because of their affection for God. In fact, as we, as we look at the story of Joseph, we're, we're gonna see this unfold a little more. When Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, who's a young minister, he tells him to be an example to the believers, to not give them an option to despise the youth because of your age, but obey God and point them, point them to God through your outward actions because of your obedience, because of your love for God. If you love God, then you will keep his commandments. You can't keep his commandments to love God. No, you have to love God first before you're going to keep God's commandments. Does that make sense? It's an if-then statement. If you love God, then you will do this. Taylor touched on that the other day. Joseph is a great example of trusting God's plan even when everything is hard. As a young man, the, he, he, you look at the life of Joseph and he just he was sent through the ringer. Uh, he is his dad's favorite son of a broken home. There are four different moms within Joseph's home. Birth moms. Think about that for a moment. There's 12 brothers and they all hate him. Then when Joseph's younger brother comes along, uh, his mom dies in childbirth. His brothers hated him so much because he was his dad's favorite son, they were going to kill him until one of the older brothers says, hey, that might be a little too extreme. Let's not do that. Instead, let's sell him into slavery. Everyone was like, hey, great idea. Let's make some money off of our brother. They pulled him up out of the pit and they trafficked him. Sold him into slavery. He becomes a slave. He rises through the ranks of the home that he's in. Uh, he becomes second in command within the home. When the, when, when, when the man of the house is awake, he's in charge. He's falsely accused. And then he's thrown into prison. Throughout all this time, Joseph continues to trust God. While he's in prison, falsely accused, he rises to the ranks, through the ranks, He helps some high up people that have been placed in prison. One of them dies. The other one lives. Says, hey, I'm not going to forget about you. Guess what? He forgets about him. Until the right time. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream. And he needs someone to interpret it. And no one can explain it to him. Then this cupbearer is like, I got the guy for you. (laughs) I, I know. I know a guy. Joseph comes up, he's able to interpret the king's, the king's dream. Then he's put second in command over all the land. 
and his brothers come before him, and you think this would be the greatest revenge story of all time, right? Brothers are before him. I get to kill my brothers who sold me off. Instead, he sees the bigger picture, and we get at the end of all of this, after even his dad dies and his brothers are fearful that he's finally going to make do on this, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring, to bring about that, that many people would be saved. He trusted God because he loved God. You will trust God if you love God. As we work through this, there will be a trust because of our love for him that we will be able to see that God has my greater good in mind. Yes, this world is going to be full of suffering. Yes, there is going to be times when it is extremely difficult to obey God, young person. You're going to be pressed by your friends. You're going to be pressed by people at school. You're going to be pressed by outside forces to do something that's outside of God's plan. Don't do it. Allow your love for God to be able to protect you so that way you will be able to obey him. That's how Joseph was able to make it through because he loved God, he trusted him, and he knew that God had a greater plan that was in motion. Now, the neat thing with Joseph is he was able to see why God allowed it. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, that's all we want. Job's another man within the Bible who loses everything, his children, his riches, his health. His friends come, they start accusing him of there's got to be some sort of hidden sin. They're trying to do good for him, but it's actually hurting him. When he finally gets an audience with God, he, he, he wants to ask him why, and, and instead of answering the question that Joseph wanted, God just starts to, or Job, he just starts to teach Job about himself, and then Job comes to the end of it and says, who am I, God, to question you? Who, who am I to be able to say a word against you? Because as we analyze and evaluate our God, we will grow in our love for him. We will understand him more that he is our creator and we are beholden to him. There are times when our suffering will not be clear. It will be hard. There will be times where it feels like God is picking on you. He's not. He's not. We just live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a fallen world. A year ago, a couple of years ago, actually, uh, we walked through, a year ago at this time, we were walking through one of the darkest times of our lives within the Huber house. We were, we had just moved to our new home in Iowa. We were embarking on a new adventure. Ministry was going great, but there was some issues going on. Uh, to, right before we moved, Taylor had had a miscarriage, and that was extremely sad, and we mourned over that. A few months later, Taylor was pregnant again, everything was going well, and then at 15 weeks, our baby boy's heart stopped beating. Week before that, I had just preached a message on suffering at church, and then I was sitting in the hospital room holding our baby boy that had been delivered, looking at him. And I had used Romans 8.28 within the message as we were talking about it. And, and I just said the words as I was trying to make sense of what was going on. 
I said, how can this be good? How can this be good? I wanted to know. I wanted to find the answer. And, I, and as we grieved, I was studying. I knew that, that God had to be doing something through it. I still don't know what that is. Studied. I, I'm trusting God through it. And, and, and then another, another three months later, Taylor miscarried again. And that, that question was still there. And I started to study through Ecclesiastes. And as I was reading through Ecclesiastes, almost right in the middle of it all, Solomon says this, Better is the stillborn or miscarried baby than the rich man, even if he were to live for thousands of years. And I read that passage, and I, I sat in my office chair staring at it, what felt like forever. Because I wanted to argue with Solomon. I wanted to bring him in front of me. I, I knew that I couldn't, but I wanted to be like, do you understand what you're saying right now? But then as you start to read through it more and more, he starts to say how this rich man, he's going to, he's putting all of his hope, he's putting all of his treasure, all of his infections in the things that this world has. He'll end up losing his children because because he's, he's going to pursue those riches and those treasures more. And the stillborn baby, the miscarried baby, the baby that has never seen life outside of the womb, is better off than this rich man. Why? Why? Because that baby will spend eternity in heaven. The rich man who's putting his hope and his affections, and pursuing after riches, and everything like that, and worldly pleasure, is going to spend an eternity in hell, which is a very real place. He can live for thousands of years with pleasure here on this earth, but he is going to spend an eternity in torment. That's why the baby is better off than the rich man. So as you grow in your love for God, the, the, the climax of this passage in Romans 8.28, it's because we love God, we will trust him, and we know that he is working everything together for good because God has created us for eternity. We have such a temporal mindset when it comes to our lives. We just see what's in front of us. We just see the physical. We just see the, the years as we mark off another birthday. So we mark off another year of existence here on this earth and we don't see the bigger picture of God's plan and it's eternity, young person. That, that thought hit me square between the eyes at a pastor's conference earlier this year. I was up in Minneapolis and I was sitting under the teaching and, and I was not expecting this at all because of the theme and, and, and the illustration that is used is, this, is of this man that has lost his child and he says, I contemplated for a long time as to why God would do this to me, why my child would only live for 12 minutes or whatever it was. And then the thought came to me of how God has created us. When you, when you study all of God's word, he has created us for eternity. And within my suffering, as I, as I sat there in that, 
in that room that night, I started to realize that, that it's true. It's true. We are made for eternity. My, my, my son who has passed, those three babies who have passed, guess what? They're in a better place than I am right now. And it started to click with me of the fact that this, <laughs> this is truth. It's God's word. It's his promise. I can trust in this. I can know that. Still clinging to that today. Immediately, I called Taylor up and I told her about it. It's another reason why it's important, even for pastors, even for us as adults, to sit under the faithful teaching and preaching of God's word because the Holy Spirit works through it. Wasn't even expecting that at that conference. Boom. God just brought extreme comfort into my life in the midst of suffering. It was honey, honey to my spirit. Trust God. If you love God, you're going to trust his plan. You're going to trust the fact that he has everything worked out for eternity, not just this earth. In fact, for the cause of Christ to share in his sufferings like what we see in verse 17, you might die. And because of that, because of the faith and trusting God's plan for eternity, you're going to be able to live your life all out for Christ. You're going to be able to be like the martyrs that have gone before, like Stephen, as he's preaching God's word, and they get angry at him. And what do they do? They pick up stones and they kill him. And all through it, he trusted God. Even the man that's writing this passage right now goes to his death before the emperor and his head cut off. Paul knew about suffering. He wasn't writing this from inexperience. He had experienced it. He knew what he was talking about. Third point tonight is this. You will be transformed by God. And that just leads right into what we were just talking about, of the fact that we don't live for the temporal. We live for eternity. We live for the glory that is to come. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not what? Worth comparing with the glory that is to be, to, that is to be revealed to us. And then we fast forward after 28. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And he's going to glorify us. He's going to give us glorified bodies, new bodies, redeemed bodies. The same spirit that raised our Savior from the dead will raise you from the dead. If you trust him with your life. If you trust him to take away your sins, to be your substitute. We can get so caught up on the, all of the little things within this. It can be like, huh, what's it mean to be predestined? What's it mean to be called? That's for a totally different topic right now. I think it does work within this. Know that God has everything worked out. He is sovereign over everything, meaning that he's in control of it all, even your salvation. But 
but we are going to be conformed to the image of his son, which means here on earth we're going to suffer. Christ suffered. Think about the image of his son. Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross for us. We're going to endure suffering for the cause of Christ. It also means that we're going to grow in holiness while we're here. We're going to grow in our obedience to God because of our love for God. Our hearts and our minds, they're going to be transformed by the Holy Spirit when we walk in the Spirit of God. And then in the future, in eternity, we will be transformed. We will have new bodies. We will have bodies like Christ. We will have a perfect nature like Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, We do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Young person, Christ tasted death for you. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We will suffer like Christ, but we will be redeemed and resurrected like Christ. For those who love God, it is going to work out well because we will be like him. We will be transformed into Christ's image. We will, we will have a body like his. We will have a nature like his. No longer will we have to have this battle that is waging war within us. We will be completely free of suffering. And what a glorious promise that that is because while we are here on this earth, we will groan, we will suffer, but our groanings will turn into glory. We will no longer groan. We will be changed. We will be like him. We will be in the presence of God forever. There's a very sad flip side of this though. Because those who don't know God do not have this promise. Those who don't know God will not have this promise. They don't love God. They don't view life in this way. They view life through pleasure and what they can get right now and, and what seems fitting to them at the moment. Young person, if you don't have a love for God, if you, if you are not trusting God as your Savior, the flip side of this promise for you is this. It is not going to go well. The reason why that, why that rich man is worse off than the one that has never lived, never lived outside the womb, is because he's going to face an eternity in hell, which is a very, very real place. It is a place of eternal suffering. It is a place of eternal groaning. It is a place where, where the fire and the pain will never stop. The worm will never die. Where there will be eternal despair and regret. And you're feeding yourself the lie that, that this is the best life now. Because it is. If you don't trust God, if you don't love God, if you're not one of his children, this is your best life now. 
And then suffering, groaning, eternal separation from God. So I am pleading with you tonight, young person, if you do not know God, start to study his word, start to turn your attitude towards him, allow his spirit to do a work in your heart because the suffering that is to come is nothing like what this world has to offer. It will be far worse. You are living a bleak life that will lead to a bleak and eternal suffering if you do not trust and love God. So I'm pleading with you tonight. I'm pleading with you that you would place your trust in him. He is good. He is worthy. He is our great God. What step do you need to take next? It's pretty simple tonight. If you don't know God, you're not a child of God, trust God. If you don't understand it all, ask him to help you to understand it. You've got counselors here. You've got people around this camp who want to help you through that. Maybe you need to study more about him. That's fine. Do it. Make sure you know. Start to, if, if, you're, if you are a child of God and, and you're going through hard times, trust God, plead with him, ask others to pray for you, understand that you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you that is going before the Father for you. You have brothers and sisters that want to help you through your suffering. What is the next step that you need to take after hearing this message tonight? Is it to grow in your knowledge of him? Is it to grow in your love of him? What is it? Maybe it's just to turn and to trust him. Every eye closed, every head bowed. At this time, Matt's going to come up. And the reason why we do this, I don't want to twist your arm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to force you into some sort of fake thing. I don't want that at all. If the Holy Spirit is working within your life and you know that you need help, you know that you need someone to talk through this with, you know that you, you need to, to understand who God is all the more and you need to study his word more, Turn and look at your counselor right now. Raise your hand up to them. Let them know that you need to talk about this. So that way they know to have a conversation with you, to be able to talk through this with you. There are things that we need to do as Christians to make those next steps, and we have people within our lives who want to help us. The local church is the best place for that to start. Let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that we can trust in that you, you are going to work everything according to your will. God, even through the hard times, even through the suffering within our lives, God, our groaning, our groaning is going to turn to glory. God, we can rest in that. 
We can trust in that. God, I pray that you would do a work that your spirit would unblind anyone's eyes that does not know you. God, that they would see the treasure of the word that they have in front of them, that they would start to treasure God all the more. In your blessed name, amen.